0: course correction from the Doha Debates. I'm Lelafa Hedayat and each episode we'll look at one big global problem and meet the people who are actively working to fix it. We're not just a podcast. We make a bunch of wondrous digital films and create stuff for our socials. We also put on a series of big live debates with speakers who have inspiring ideas about how to change the world. Unlike other debates, we try to build bridges between people with different opinions, not pit them against one another. We're looking for what connects us, rather than separates us. And we want to focus on the solutions. In our second debate, we tackled one of the greatest global crises you don't know about. Water scarcity. And we did it in a city that lives the problem. Cape Town, South Africa. Okay, so to paint you a picture of exactly what the scale of our global water crisis is, global water usage is growing twice as fast as the population. Right now, a quarter of humanity is at risk of running out of clean water. It's projected that two thirds of the world's population will be facing water stress by 2025. That's only five years away. And the climate crisis is only making it worse, with hotter days, erratic rainfall, droughts, and fires. And of course, water scarcity isn't just about drinking water. It's also about food, about livestock, and the crops that feed the livestock, and produce. It all depends on clean water. So what can we do to fix this? At our debate, each speaker presented a possible path forward for solving the water crisis.
1: The only way to truly resolve the water conflict is cooperation. It isn't easy. In times of limited access to water, the rich are very much protected by their privilege, allowing them the exact same comforts that they used to. Water, still, the woman is responsibility in my country and in the much of the developing world. Everyday, woman like me spend two hundred and sixty-six million hours to work
0: for water. That last speaker was Georgie Badiel. Georgie is a model from Burkina Faso, and she's the founder of the Georgie Badiel Foundation, which builds wells and provides sanitation facilities for communities in sub-Saharan Africa. I wanted to really understand what she's seen and why she wants to fix this problem. So we sat down to talk. You have cheekbones that could cut a man. (laughs) They are hurting my feelings. Keep them away. I'm sorry. I want to make you laugh. You're beautiful when you laugh. So just for the purposes of our interview, can you state your full name and what is it that you do?
1: I am Georgie Baddiel Liberty. I am a model, an activist
0: and an author. How did you even become a model?
1: Yes. Yeah, so at 14 years old, my father told me that uh, he won't be able to afford for my education. And uh, the only hope that I have to get out of poverty was my education. And at 14 years old, it was kind of like, what do I do? I just couldn't picture myself doing something else other than go to school. And around me, I had a lot of girlfriends that the parents was were giving them to kind of like a forced marriage. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, did I find someone? Did I get married? Or? Like at 14 years old, I just people would tell me, "You're tall, you're skinny, you can become a model." And I was kind of like, mm, did, did there is money in modeling? Did it pay? Yeah. People were like, that yes, of course you can become like this supermodel, Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss. I'm like, whoa, okay. I went on to uh, knock on designers' doors. I would walk miles to reach out designers' um, uh, offices and ask them, please take me. As a teenager, as, as a, a teenager. young girl. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, the first designer that I worked with, his name is Pateo. He uh, just did a collaboration with Dio. I mm. uh, remember the first time. Before I reached to his office, I did not know where it was. I walked three hours from this area to another one, to another one, to another one. I finally, reached his office and I introduced myself. I said, "Just try clothes on me and pay me, so I can go to school." So you know, you said this be, to him. Yes,
0: I thought. The him thing that. that I love about you and just spending. Just a few minutes with you and, and reading about you is you're so honest about how you have suffered and the pain you have gone through. And you are, you, you are not embarrassed or ashamed of, of being poor or your father having to make very tough decisions about your education. He simply couldn't afford it. He couldn't afford it. I
1: am proud. I'm, I would say that I am proud of where I'm coming from. You know, because I strongly believe that no one in this world decide on which family they will be born. Now, what is the most important is what you do after. How you strive to become the person you want to be. Mm. That's the most important.
0: That's not just talk. For the last decade, Georgie's been working tirelessly to provide clean water in her homeland, Burkina Faso. you passion for, for this basic human right comes from your experiences living and growing up as a child in Burkina Faso. What do you remember of this idea of water being precious and scarce and something that has to be struggled and fought for?
1: How can you
0: uh,
1: thrive without access to clean drinking water? And most of the people in Burkina Faso, they, um, uh, they, they live by agriculture, you know, farming. So my father decided to immigrate in Ivory Coast so that he can have a better life for himself and his children. But still, life was, I would say, dry. Uh, My strongest memories of my childhood was, why do we have to walk so far to get the water? Did you
0: have to walk for
1: three hours?
0: You had to walk for three hours. Three hours. What did you do on your journey? What did you do? Did you? I'm just thinking, I don't do anything for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> what do you well, do when you're fetching water? Well, you sing on the
1: road. I was with my grandmother, my cousin girls. We sing, we play sometimes. When we get to the well, we're tired, we rest for a little bit, we fill our bucket and we walk back to the village, you know, um... You do what you have to do because what would you do without water if you have no choice? Basically, water enslaves people because they have no choice. They, they just have to do it, you know. And to me, that is why clean water is a human right. Without clean water,
0: there's no liberty.
1: You're no, saying. there's no freedom. You can't go to school. It can work. Women woman don't have that, that freedom to have the possibility to do other things
0: for themselves and for their children. You last went to Burkina Faso very recently. Yes. How has your activism changed your experience of, of going back home?
1: You know, every time I go back home, all I'm thinking and all I'm seeing is um, how can I do more? It's never enough, whatever I do. Before, when I was going, I would spend time with my friends, my family. I would be surrounded by love and, you know, all the greatness. Mm. Now, when I go to Burkina Faso, all I want to do is to find the solution the solution on how we can bring clean drinking water to my country. Because when I go to villages, I see women like me. I see young girls like me that have to spend three hours, four hours. Some of them sleep on the road just to bring back a bucket of water for their family. You know, if we really want to solve poverty, we need to start from the basic. And to me, the basic is water. This is where life starts. It's been more than 10 years now that I'm working on the water issue. And I co-founded an organization with a friend, Models for Water. I was so excited about it. I was like, oh my God, finally, I will use my platform as a model to help and give back. So we start building the first wells outside than my village, we'll raise the funds and we'll partner with other organizations. Until my friend told me that, I am so sorry, we, we have to stop the organization because, you know, there is a, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of work. There were times uh, she was in Australia, I'm in London, we have to call. It's a full-time work having an organization. So it was hard for us. So she decided to stop. I was hurt. Oh Oh my God, I was depressed. Because this was your dream. Oh my God, I was so depressed. That is when I decided to want to share my my, uh, childhood story with the world. That's when uh, we came up with uh, The Water Princess.
0: The Water Princess is a children's book based on Georgie's experience as a girl fetching water for her family. Instead of a crown, the water princess carries a heavy water bucket on her head.
1: I wanted to use the funds of uh, my book deal to build the first well in my grandmother village. So we went on and looked for different organizations that could do that. So we gave the funds to uh, one of the organizations. They say, okay, yes, no problem. We'll build a well in your grandmother village. And uh, finally they say, no, we want to build a well somewhere else. Okay. I was again hurt. That's <sighs> when I decided to found uh, the Georgie Badiel Foundation because I was kind of like, if I don't stand up for the people, nobody will do so, I have to do it myself. Yes. And uh, to me, it's very important that I live for something. It's very important that my life means something to somebody else so that they can, they can try too. Yes. Yes, that's when I started uh, the Georgie Baddiel Foundation.
0: I mean, (laughs) I've not heard of many people turning that many setbacks into a positive, but here you are. What is the hope and dream and aspiration of your foundation? And when you, you keep talking about solving the water crisis, so what does it mean to you to solve the water crisis in Burkina Faso?
1: Well, to me, I believe in one country at a time. This is why my main focus is in Burkina Faso. The population... Is growing every day. We almost, we're about 18 million and uh, about 60 and more uh, percent of the population don't have access to clean drinking water. That's a lot. Yes. So to me, my dream is to bring clean drinking water to the whole country, which means that I want every person in Burkina Faso to have access to clean drinking water in their home or at least near their home, like five minutes away from their home. And to me, the way that we can solve it is um, if we can have the rich people help, that would be great. Rich people in the sense that if we have um, powerful countries around the world that can dedicate at least 0.5% of the GDP to solve the water crisis around the world, I think that will be amazing. Mm. But for Burkina Faso, I'm partnering with the government of Burkina Faso and we are doing a study between the uh, students of Columbia University and the uh, students of this in Ouagadougou so that we can find the real solution. Great. To bring clean drinking water to the whole country.
0: Data is power.
1: Data is power.
0: (laughs) What do you want to tell people with the water privilege that they have? What could we do as individuals to try and fix and tackle this problem?
1: So I wanted to say that to every human being to use a sense of compassion to give back to help someone have the most basic human need, clean drinking water. Because water is everything. We can't educate a young girl without water. We cannot empower a woman without water. So as human beings, let's use our sense of compassion.
0: A lot of people don't even, they just think, oh, this was a problem of the past. Water scarcity? What are you talking about? You know, people used to do that in the 80s and 90s. Water scarcity is not an issue, they'd say to you.
1: Yes, for sure. (laughs) I was arguing as well with my husband. He was saying that clean drinking water is not a human right. I'm like, all right, what I'm going to do with you one day, I will take you to the desert of Burkina Faso leave you there for four hours without a glass of clean drinking water, then your thoughts will change. <laughs> yes. Uh, I,
0: think you're yes saying, I think essentially what you're saying is people need to check their privilege. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And as you can see, uh, we in Cape Town, everywhere you go, they have been uh, saying how much, you know, they start to run out of water. Yes. How can you imagine a city like that can run out of water? But... It, this problem will be global. Quite. It will be global because sometimes we think that it only happened
0: to others, but fortunately not. Georgie Badil, thank you so much for talking to the Doha Debates. Oh my God, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much, thank you. Can I just shake your hand? Oh, Oh, let me hug you. Oh God, goodbye. That's all for the show today. To watch the full live debate, go to YouTube, search for Doha Debates Water Scarcity. You can see all of the speakers' proposed solutions and tell us what you think. What are your ideas about ways we can improve the situation for people facing water scarcity? I want to hear from you. Tweet us at Doha Debates or reach me at Nelifah.h. Course Correction is written and hosted by me, Nelifah Hedayat. The show is produced by Doha Debates and Transmitter Media. Doha Debates is a production of Qatar Foundation. Special thanks to our team at Doha Debates, JFit Weeks, Angela Tulla, and Jigga Meta. This episode was mixed by Dara Hirsch. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. It helps other people find us. Join us for the next episode of Course Correction wherever you get your podcasts.